Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and this is part two of my conversation with Aja Sako. She is an educator, advocate, leader, supporter, and connector of people and ideas who is passionate about serving others through education and social justice particularly women and children. She has over 10 years experience in education, finance, DEIJ, and has had roles ranging from trainer, advisor, evaluator, board representative, director, committee chair, and most important to her, agent of change in the lives of young women and girls. She is also an Africanist and believes that Africans must lead the charge to change the narrative and the current state of affairs of many African countries. As host as 221 Afrique, a podcast focused on telling stories of Africans returning home to the continent, Aja is doing just that, changing the narrative. So you're joining us as we talk about Aja's experience moving to Senegal and her landing as an expat. And so tell us a little bit more about what does an expat package mean? How does that work? How, what's the onboarding? What, what's different about it as compared to landing? Because we talk about soft landings generally, and I think that's, that's a big part of what the expat package offers. But tell us a little bit more about your experience. So I think for me, it's a bit different. And I'm going to caveat it by saying, had I not been employed at this school, I wouldn't have come to Senegal. I've been happy in state of New York. It was just the possibility that maybe I could do this. And then it opened itself up and it worked out. But I was perfectly happy teaching and working in the U.S. I was perfectly happy at the school that I was at. Um, my principal and administrator, she's amazing. You know, shout out to her. Really, I really had nothing that I was just like, I got to get out of the country. I was fine. So when I applied and then I got it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to do this for two years and then see what it's about and then come back. Like, that was my idea, right? And then immediately they started all of the onboarding. I think immediately after I signed my contract, maybe about a month after that or so, they connected me with a, a buddy there. And like, that was kind of like my go-to person if I had any questions. And and again, I'm a bit unique because I'm of the Senegalese culture. Like there are definitely some things that I did not know. And I think it was great to have a buddy to be able to ask them. But there were a lot of things I didn't need to ask because I had grown up in the culture. I had visited the country. I had, I had enough information that I could figure it out. And I speak the language. So there are some things that I could have figured out. But again, it was just great that they had someone there who was already there ahead of me, who already, you know, lived there, worked there, whatever. So I had a buddy and then um, part of my contract, they gave me like an overseas allowance to kind of help me furnish the apartment that they were, they were the ones who provided the apartment. And then again, had that not been the case, I probably would have stayed at my mom's house, right? Because she has a place here in the car as well. And then um, healthcare was also provided. There was an opportunity to take out like a loan at 0% interest to buy a car. I didn't necessarily want to buy a car initially because I was like, I mean, I can get around with the buses and the taxis. I can communicate. I'll be fine. It wasn't until I think after my first year or maybe leaning towards my end of my first year that I was like, you know, I might want to go out of town and it might be more convenient if I have a vehicle instead of having to pay every single time. So to me, that was the motivation initially to get the car, but I would have been fine without it. And then um, the salary was pretty good. I, I would say because I came in with two master's, it's a salary scale that they have. And so because I came in, I was already up on the, it's, it's definitely not as high as what you would consider in the U.S. as a teacher, right? 
But if we're talking about the international education space, it's very com- Asia and Saudi Arabia. They play the most. Like people go to Saudi and they never leave because like they're like a six figure, seven figures easy pay if you stay long enough. And we're not near there, but in terms of like the benefits and the package that they offer you, it's pretty comfortable. And um, they have a relationship with the U.S. Embassy. So I think the U.S. Embassy, to some extent, kind of helps out with like the paperwork and the residence permits and all that kind of stuff for, for people who are coming in, who are coming in for the U.S. at least. And they have the same relationships, I think, with other embassies for other international teachers to kind of facilitate just a smooth entry into the country. And then you don't have any issues with your work permits. And again, I'm unique because I really didn't need that because I have my Senegalese passport, you know, but I, I'm here as an American, you know. So it was a very, 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 very soft landing. School was supposed to start like I think, I know, I think we were supposed to report like the 10th or the 11th of August. I came two weeks earlier because I was like, well, it's still summer. I still want to have my summer vacation before I have to work. I kind of still want to see my family. Oh, so, okay. So being African, so let me tell you about that. <laughs> In most African countries, when you're an unmarried woman, it is not common for you to be living in the house by yourself if your parents have a home. Sure. So when I came to Senegal to visit the first time, of course, I stayed with my mom's my mom's uh, house. She was in the U.S. I was in her house. The second time, same thing. Now, the third time, I have a contract. I'm coming here for work, right? But I ain't tell nobody. Like I had to tell I came two weeks earlier. <laughs> And they thought I was on vacation like before. So I didn't, I'm just like, nobody. So the school starts, I move into my apartment. My mom knows the whole deal. I tell her what's going on. Because they literally would call my mom and be like, I came to the house on Saturday night and she wasn't there. And I'm wondering like, where could she be? You know, like, (laughs) and this is so different from what I know in the U.S. I had my own apartment in the U.S. You know, I, I moved out of my apartment to move in with my mom to help her out. But, and my mom knows, like, I don't, I don't see myself doing anything in Senegal that I wouldn't do in the U.S. and one in front of my mom. You know what I mean? It was just so odd to me that they would just pop up and be calling my mom like, I'm really worried. Like, is she staying somewhere else? (laughs) 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 And so I don't think I told them that I actually was working here. I think I think my initial lie was like, you know, I I came and volunteered somewhere and they liked me. So they asked me to stay. I think that's how I started. Okay. And then after the volunteer, like after a couple of months, I was like, oh, they want me to stay near the school. So they asked me to like take an apartment and like see what it would be. And probably by like June when the school year was over, I was like, oh, they like me so much. They offered me a contract. Meanwhile, I just finished my first year. (laughs) So you were, you were the stealth mover. Okay. You know, you know, African aunties and uncles be all up in your business. Like, it's all up in your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you got to mm-hmm. give them that respect. You know, it's, it's a cultural thing. I got it. I got it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want them to be feeling shamed or embarrassed or whatever, because this is what, this is how they operate. This is what they know. But I also wanted to make sure I had my boundaries in terms of what works for me. I mean, yeah, your family, but still, you know, I'm going to live my life. So it was, it was so funny that first year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can imagine. <laughs> and then um, we, you know, again, so I started working there and then I, I was exposed to that, this idea of December break and like the fact that you're off for three or four weeks. So then I went home. I went home to New York for two weeks because remember, I came in July. So I, so December is now the first time I'm going home after being away from my family for six months. And I remember going home for two weeks and I'm like, damn, I can't wait to go back to Senegal. Like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's how I felt when I first moved. I was like, oh, I can't, I need to go back. You know? And then, um, you know, yeah. and then I met 
someone who's still a very dear friend of mine. Actually, I named my daughter after her. And so when the school year was over in June, she came, I invited her to come with me to New York. She had never been to New York. I said, you should come. So she came and I like got to show her like, you know, my New York, the way that's why I love New York so much. No matter where I go, it'll always be a part of me. And I think she had such a great time. And I, I'm, I'm, she came back a couple of years after that. But then it was like, a, it was like a good like segue into like, you know, because if you live in Africa, Florence, it's just so different than living in America in a lot of ways, like infrastructure, mindset, access. It's just there's so many things that are different. So when I came home in June, I was like, oh, man, alhamdulillah, like I can go to the restaurant and not have to worry about how my food was washed. You know, mm-hmm. I can I can go to the bank and there'll be like efficient practices. And so it was it was a breather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like I stayed home for four weeks that first summer. And by the third week, I was like, OK, I think I want to go back. I think. Mm, <laughs> I think right, I right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think now it, it's ten going on ten years now. That this dysfunction and the beauty and the chaos is is all why I appreciate being here. Like I love it. Sure, sure. It's just your all of it, all of it. Is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I hear you. So speaking of what you love, there, I like to ask a glocal speak question. So we want to hear what you hear. So we ask. I'm asking you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a part of your local experience and and why you came to value it as a glocal speak. So we are a country that was formerly colonized by the French. But people here really value when individuals come and they really take a interest in learning the language. Like it's a, it's a huge thing. And so you know, there's formal ways of speaking, but there's also these informal ones. So 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 for one, like for greeting, a very a very informal sort of endearing sort of way to greet someone that that is close to you is like boy nakamu. Boy nakamu. Yes, and it's like it's almost you do that when you are like close to somebody, or it's almost like a tease, you know, like. I guess the equivalent to that in English would be like, hey, hey, girl, like something like that. Okay, you know what I mean? Okay. And that's, and you that's unisex. That, you can say that to anyone. It's unisex. It's unisex. Mm-hmm. It's unisex. So that's one. Just because it's easy, you know, and it's, it's, there's no formalities. You know, that you know if you're saying that there's a closeness between you and the person. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so and that's, that's in Wolof, one. right? That's in Wolof. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's in Wolof. And um, one thing that I love to hear a lot and I think if you if you follow any of the Senegalese artists, there's one that I really like, which is called uh, Dada G. They're a rap group. Okay. And they have a song called Senegal. And in the video of Senegal, in the song, they take a, a bus, which is called a Karapit. A Karabi? A, a Karapit, which is the boat of the, it's a bus. Okay. Uh-huh. And they use it to, tra- like, to travel all through different parts of Senegal. And so one of the things that you'll hear when the boys are on these Karapit is like, you know, they bang on the they bang on the door of the of the bus and they're telling people, you know, Dakar, Pastel, you know, and, and so it's just something that you hear because it's just part of the bustle and, and hustle. Ah, hustle yes. Yeah. That's also something I was like, oh, okay. and, and then when I don't hear it, I'm like, oh, it's too quiet. You know, what's going on? <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Or it's like, direct, direction on Dakar. Okay. You know, so that's part of, that's part of like telling you where they're headed. Another thing that I really, I think, is for, in terms of local speak, did you call it global speak? Or global, global speak? speak. When you dress really well, especially, you know, Friday is uh, the dress up day for most people because they headed to the mosque. You also, you always often will hear, ah, mashallah. You also say to be matnadeh. Oh, wait, say, like, you have oh, to say that God. again. You have to say that again. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you the shorter variation of it because it's a long phrase. 
But um, when you're just well, someone might say to you, ah, so thanks to be matna. Well, so thanks to bachna. Okay. It's like, oh my gosh, like you just look so elegant and so beautiful in what you're wearing. And again, unisex, boy, men or women. Okay. Or or you might, or someone might say to you like, ah, thoughtless applause. Like you're, it literally translates into English as you're sitting in your place. In the sense of, oh my gosh, look at you. Like you look so beautiful in the, the way you've associated your, you know, your fabric and your jewelry and all this other stuff. And, you know, Africans love to dress up. It's not a Senegal thing. It's all the continent. We like to look good. So, and we like to be appreciated for looking good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we do it for ourselves, but yeah, yeah. if you're doing it, you, you definitely want people to acknowledge it, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, I think that's three things that, and then I heard that a lot because this past weekend was Kabaski, which is the Eid holiday. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so good. That's good context. So tell us about this particular holiday. So in Senegal, it's known as the Big Eid. There's two Eids. There's one after Ramadan and there's one after Kabaski. And this one, because they call it the Big Eid, because literally the town is empty. Like everybody goes home to the villages. Mm, mm-hmm. the, car, the car is a very populous capital city. I think the whole country of Senegal is 14 million. There's probably about eight living in Dakar. Like everybody is living in Dakar. <laughs> so when it's, when it's the Big Eid or Tabaski, everybody goes back to the villages. And, and the, the cool thing about it is that it is pretty quiet and you worry about the traffic and because there's just so much traffic now. And so this holiday is um, framed around the story in the Bible. For, for those who are Christian, this, the same story exists in the Quran about Abraham, who God wanted to test his belief in the religion and his faith. And the story goes that he was so faithful and so dutiful to God that God was like, I want you to sacrifice your son. And he went and, you know, he was about to do it. And then God replaced, you know, gave him a ram instead because of his dutifulness and like piety of being so devout in his faith. And so whoever is Muslim, that's part of your duty of being, of being Muslim. You're asked to sacrifice a lamb, a male ram, to test that faith that you say that you believe in. And so that's what everybody does. And so you'll have, and it, it applies if you're the head of household. Mm. It could be men and women because head of households are just different this, you know, now. So like I had to take out one because, and I, my mom takes out one because she wants to. And when my grandmother was living, even though my grandmother was 100 plus, it also says that if you're able to, right? So my grandmother who's 100 years old, she didn't have to do it no more. But because she's always done the sacrifice, she's like, no, I want to do it too. So I always, ever since I've been in Senegal, I always have uh, been the one to purchase the lamb from my, from my grandmother. And now that she's not here, so that I pass that on to my mom, that I get her her lamb. And then the idea is that you take some of that meat for yourself, but you also give a majority of the meat to people who are less fortunate than you. Sure. You feed yeah, the yeah. village. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the idea behind the, the, the holiday. And um, it lasts for three days and people dress up and they go see family and they bring them presents and, you know, there's music and dancing. And it's just a fun time to be around family. It's, it's kind of like Thanksgiving-ish and Easter-ish rolled into one, right? It is, it is. And I think for me, like last Tabaski, I was in New York. I, my sister was getting married. So this Tabaski was cool because I had my, my sister that I'm closest to, also closest to in general. She was in town. And so we got to do the whole traditional and she dressed up and I dressed up. And my mom is here right now, too. And so it was just really nice to kind of have everybody here and celebrating with them as well. 
Nice. 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 Yeah, That's yeah. nice. That's a thank yeah. you for that. So I'm loving this episode. We're getting so much culture and richness and all of those wonderful things. So I think this is a good transition into talking about your podcast. So you are now, you know, you, your day job is this super educator. And I mean, we could talk for so long because I'm very interested in, in your new role in the DEI and DEIJ space, particularly in the African context, in the school that you're in, the work that you're doing. But before that, I want to talk about what inspired you to become a content creator. It kind of happened by default. So what happened was a lot of people kept asking me, like, why did you come back? What is it like being back there? And I keep saying it, but it's actually pretty, pretty true. I'm very unique in that I was born and raised in the U.S. And so typically people who move back to Africa is because their roots were originally in Africa. They went away for school or they went away for something and they came back home. Meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, I'm like born and raised in New York, haven't known anything else other than New York. And I'm like this American girl is just like, OK, I'm going to go see what this is about. So 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 a lot of people, I think, related to me in that way, because now they're starting my friends, at least they're starting families and their their children are similar to me because now they're, you know, they're purchasing houses in the U.S. And maybe that wasn't the mission to begin with. They were just going to there like my mom. I'm just going to go and see what it's about 40 years later. Right. So. <laughs> So they end up staying much longer than they had anticipated. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're afraid to move back for, for many reasons. And I think what originally happened was a lot of different people just kept reaching out to me on social media. And I'm, and I'm, I'm active on social media just because I felt like it was a good platform to share my experiences here in Senegal, you know, with my friends. And people just kept asking, like, why did you move back? What is it like? Probably testing the waters for themselves to see if there was something that they wanted to do. And so I ended up starting to talk to people and I had this idea like, okay, well, why not tell these stories of people who are here so that it kind of demystifies this idea of what Africa is. And I said, well, I'm in Senegal, so I'm going to start here in Senegal. I know enough people that I have moved back here in Senegal that I'll start telling their stories. And it ended up being thus far that the stories I've been sharing mm, are people mm-hmm. who are actually entrepreneurs. It wasn't my intent for it to be that way. I was just like, I'm going to tell stories of people that I know that are here and, you know, hopefully people can learn from their experiences. And it just ended up happening that they're all entrepreneurs in some way. And so originally in 2018, I launched it as a podcast. It was my, it was an inspiration that came from my students, actually. As part of one of the units of study, the students were asked to create a podcast. And in my role as uh, the support teacher, I would go into different classrooms supporting my fifth grade students and we will learn together the platform of how to create a podcast. And, and at the end of the six weeks of learning, they had to create this podcast and just being around them and learning how they did it. And I was like, oh, this is actually not as difficult as I thought. Like, I always thought this was something really like, and really, they were the ones that inspired me to do it. And then around when the unit of study ended, I was like, oh, well, let me try. And then I went and I took what I learned from them and created my podcast and that's it. And then I have a friend, shout out Nana, who's in uh, Ghana. Uh, we go way back from college and he is into creative art. So I had him design my logo and um, it became a reality. And then I launched it and I talked to a couple of people and I chopped it up and put it on iTunes and Spotify and here we are. Okay. Okay. So we can look for... 221 Africa on Spotify. Where, where, so where can, we, where can we hear it? So you can hear it on Spotify, on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, all, all the places on uh, SoundCloud, all the places that you would get 
your podcast. But so what happened was in 2018, I also became a mom. That was my new title that I added. I adopted a little girl. She's four years old. So, so I was blogging and podcasting and then took a step back. And then right when I kind of took a step back, I feel like a lot of people kept reaching out and like were asking for like visuals, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I guess you would want to see what Senegal looks like now, right? Because maybe you haven't been in 30, 40 years and you're imagining, you know, or maybe you come to visit and you're, you're in one section or one area and you don't really see the rest of Senegal. And so this year, I had the idea to launch a YouTube channel. Okay. So we've now extended the podcast into a YouTube channel as well. I had a couple of people that, it, it, it is, it's great because they're all from my circle of friends and I appreciate that they are entertaining me and sitting down and talking to me and like telling their stories. But I realized that I like telling stories and I'm actually pretty good at it. And it's fun being able to like connect the dots with them which is kind of what we're doing too, you and I talking and, and, and how they're doing now that they're here, you know? And at least one of them or two of them, I know it was therapy. Because sometimes you don't think about the journey that you had until you have to really sit and reflect upon it. Even for myself, like you just know that you made it and you're okay. You know, you're, God has looked out for you in a lot of ways. And then you start to think and you're like, oh, actually, wait a minute. I'm actually in a better spot than I had imagined, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So being a a fellow podcaster in terms of identifying um, guests and things like that, what is your biggest win? And I think you could probably kind of described it, but what is your biggest win and what is your um, biggest challenge in terms of being a a podcast creator? I'll tell you the challenge first. I think one of the challenges is trying to figure out like the right equipment and materials, because this is, I don't know anything about podcasting. As I said, my students were the ones who inspired me. So at first, I bought this little desk mic, right? Because I was like, I'm just going to hook it up to the computer and that's going to be it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it worked for the podcast, right? But then when I decided to launch a YouTube channel, it wasn't really hitting. So like, I ended up, right, right. the very first YouTube video that we put up, we went to, shout out to Aisha, we went to her dance studio and the interview was great. But meanwhile, you hear the thumping music in the background, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, okay, well, wait, maybe I need to get some more equipment. So I think just the learning curve of, okay, what's going to work? What's not going to work? Yeah. Electricity issues here. Like some of the content is long and it's interesting. And, you know, you want to be able to still engage your audience. You also have to be uh, pretty decisive about what you keep and what you take out. So that's been been a challenge because you want to be true to the story that they're telling. You know, you want, you want to present them in a way that, you know, makes sense. So that's been the challenge. I think the biggest win is that I uh, recently reached out to someone who I thought was pretty cool and I wanted to tell their story. And they were like, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, you do? Oh. You know? <laughs> so um, hopefully, knock on wood, you know, hopefully that that works out and that'll be coming up. But that was that was pretty cool because, I mean, I'm just I didn't even know like that they listened to the podcast or that they were in, even interested in. And the person told me, no, I want you to tell my story. Like for me, you are going to be the person to do it. But oh, how like, nice. OK, so we'll be looking out for that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that'll be yeah. in the show notes, folks. You'll have, again, always good show notes for the podcast. So we'll add a link to Aja's programs, both on YouTube and also on a platform near you. Okay, so let me ask a question that I ask everyone as well. And this is about mindset. What is your favorite mindset hack? So this is one that you know of, one that you practice, or one that you can imagine. 
You know what? I think the big thing that I had to do when I moved was just to shift my mindset to a more growth mindset. Mm. Because I felt like, I think, I think when they were in the U.S., I think for the most part, I mean, people might feel different, you know, depending on the circumstances. But for the most part, life is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need something done, you go, you get it done. There's really not all these obstacles that kind of get in your way. But when I moved here, just the mindset of how people would get, you know, you go to the administration building, it says seven o'clock, people come in at nine o'clock, they leave at 12. It's just, it's just different in how the ethics and the professionalism and um, the professionalism of what I was used to back home. So for me, it was like, okay, let me just appreciate the fact that, you know, I can have some small conversation with this person while I'm waiting and not, not look at it more as a burden, but more as an opportunity to connect. And so looking at more as a growth mindset in terms of like the interactions that I have with people and like really trying not to compare because you can't compare, you know, trying not to compare. It's different. You know, the life I had in the U.S. and to the life that I have here. I think in a lot of ways, the life I have here now, honestly, Florence is much better, you know, than what I had in the U.S., you know. Both had its challenges. I think dating here in Senegal has been the biggest challenge, which is a podcast on its own. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I didn't, I wanted to ask you, it's like, oh, I want to talk about the second wife thing, but no, that's for another podcast. But I would, yeah. That's his own podcast, you know, um, just the challenges around that. And what, what I will give you a little bit of tea on, I think that I've, I've been challenged in that space because Senegalese people don't know how to classify me because I'm American. Mm. And then international people want to box me as just being Senegalese. Mm. But I'm both, mm. right? And the way I see the world is going to be sprinkled with both. And the way that I behave is going to be sprinkled with both. Right, right. And so and so that's been the challenge because they just don't know where to put you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but we I need, think, we I need think doses of growth mindset for everybody. Seriously, seriously. It, it will be helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So definitely like just, just making sure like I'm always like not comparing. And I think I think that's the thing that kills whatever good mood or whatever good space you're in. You're just comparing and comparing and comparing. And it's just different. It's just and you gotta recognize it's different and keep it moving, you know. So that's the big thing. I think the other thing too, and I said this in the beginning, is that I'm naturally a connector. And I think moving here, though, has definitely forced me to be a little bit more extroverted Mm. because I didn't grow up here because I didn't live here. I had to start over with making connections and meeting friends and meeting people and like finding my support system in my tribe. So in in having to do that, I had to kind of take a little bit more risk, you know, than than most other people, because I'm the one who's new, you know, on some level, I got to kind of go out and seek it. Mm -hmm. And, And it. My sister who was just here, she definitely says that I'm a little bit different than who she remembered in 2018 or who she remembered in the U.S. Because I think what she said is you're very comfortable in who you are. And it's, that's never been an issue, actually. Yeah. You know, but but she's like, I get to definitely see like she said to me, I said, I'm, I'm, she said to me, I'm really proud of you. I feel like you have come into your own living here. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh, you, yes. Yes. When yes. I come to Senegal, like I know I'm going to hang out with my sister and she's going to show me around and like the respect that people give her and the authority that she gives her, you, you've kind of really worked to kind of develop that. And, and, and that, and like I said, it's just, I didn't intend on being here for so long, but it's just a circumstance. I think of knowing the culture a little bit more and accepting the culture a little bit more, not all parts of the culture, but the things that work for me and that I can take away and teach to my daughter and like, I value. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. That's lovely. That's nice. So grow and connect. 
And yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. That's great. Okay, so my last kind of line of inquiry is uh, is on the what's new and next for you. And so you have a promotion and that came with doing some trainings and things like that. And this DEI conversation has been very current in a, a few of my conversations. I had a guest a few weeks ago who her company's called the Inclusion Group, again, show notes. And then I've also had another um, DEI guest that was, was a good friend of mine who's at Christie's. And so now you being in a role in an educational institution is very interesting. So tell us about what that role is going to look like and what you feel are the key points of, you know, impact that you feel like are, are part of the charge of your work. So to back up a bit, I feel like I've always done DEI work. I think mm. we were calling it that, you know what I mean? Mm. Like I feel mm-hmm, like I've always mm-hmm. tried because of my, I'm a third cultural child, third cultural adult, having two cultures and languages and experiences and always trying to find a way to connect with people so that people don't see my differences as a negative. You know what I mean? So so with that background, I feel like I've always been someone who's like drawn to situations where someone's being treated unfairly and trying to make sure that that situation is just, you know, and right. In general, like in, the, in all of the work that I've done, I feel like I've always kind of gravitated towards that. Mm-hmm. And I think even in my family, like everybody, I'm the youngest of seven, actually nine. I have two brothers in, in France, uh, same dad. So the, the youngest girl, I should say. And in general, I'm always the one that's like, okay, let's do this. That doesn't feel right. Can we all, you know? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just always been part of who I am. I think there's people in your family or your circle that they're, they're just the leader. Like that, they might not want to be, but they're just drawn that way. And that's yes. just who I've always been. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think I feel like I've been doing this work from before. And then when I joined my school, I'm the only Senegalese American there, and so. I think from the beginning, I've always tried to connect with the Senegalese staff, not on some, I know better than you, I know more than you, not at all, but on some, I want you to be a little bit more compassionate to the Americans because maybe this is what's going on as an American, you kind of relate to what we're thinking. And then doing the same on the American side. I want you to understand the Senegalese side of things as someone who's Senegalese, who has experience and a little bit of a connection to that. And then eventually, I think after many, many incidents, we don't need to go through all of them in the U.S., but the most recent one being George Floyd and being a community where the majority of our students were African, they're increasingly becoming more African or brown. And they started speaking up and then they created a Instagram called Black at, at, at I, don't, I won't give the name, I'll give you, you can put it in the show notes. And they started talking about their experiences at the school being Black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I think the school was kind of already looking at how they could be more diverse by like increasing the population of teachers who were brown, considering like the policies that we have on the books. I think I think they were taking some initiatives to kind of look at itself. But then I think when George Floyd happened, it kind of just put the mirror in their face very boldly because all these people now were coming forward and saying these were the experiences that I lived while I was there. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a reckoning, I think, mm-hmm. in the school, and I think in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because it, it, you can't really grow if you're not looking at yourself to see where the areas of growth are. You know what I mean? Sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's how the role was created. That's how we have a DEI committee. That's how we have a DEI team. That's how the board 
kind of stepped more into this thing about what can we do as a board to guide the school in this work. And from there, I was on the DEI team. As I said, I feel like I was always doing the work, even before, you know, I was on the team, I was a trainer, I was doing all these things. And then the role opened up, I applied, I got it. So what I see myself doing in the next year is just really, there's some things that we have on the books that we want to get accomplished as a school. There's at least two goals that we have that's kind of been conversations from before. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them is looking at the curriculum and looking at the curriculum so that it's more inclusive and telling mm-hmm. different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in general, we always get the white narrative of yes. what happened yeah. in the world. And so mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we are representing as many groups as we can and telling their stories in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be one of the things that we're going to be working on. We've also sort of been supporting the student voice at our school. And so making sure the students feel empowered to like come forward and say, these things have happened to them. How can I now get help? Or how can we minimize that these things will happen again? Or how can we be the ones who are leading the change so that educators know how to interact with us in a way that is more diverse and more inclusive? Mm-hmm. So that's part of it, too, sort of supporting the student group and the student voice. The last part to me is more being like a listener and an educator to the community. I think I think there's an advantage for me because I speak I do speak French, English and Wolof, and that's the majority of the languages that we serve at the school. So being able to have anyone who has a concern or a question or whatever or an inquiry to come forward and come and talk to someone who they can communicate with, or if I don't have the answers, we'll be able to go and get those answers from someone else. Right. Because right, the right. big thing about me, Florence, is that I don't mind asking questions, huh? Like, I know people are like, I don't want to rock the boat. Nah, mm-hmm. I'm good. Like, questions need to be asked. Like, yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I don't ever want to just assume that this is what it is. I don't want to have how I'm feeling be what I'm feeling, and I haven't voiced it. So, so I'm known as that person on the campus, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it'll be helpful in this role because I think you have to be that way if you really want to bring about change. Right. You can't right. really be this person yes. in the background who's meek. You know, yes. you got to be someone who's willing to say, hey, the community is upset about A, B, C, and D, and how can we do something different about it? So for me, I see this as a role of more of, um, we've done a lot of listening. We've, we've even had like some reconciliation sessions among our students and our administrators and all that. I see this as a continuation of the commitment that we are making as educators, this, this new role as a commitment, and also like as a bridge. That's, that's how I see it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the role. It's for one year with the possibility for an extension, but I'll take okay. it. Right. And uh, I'm just, I'm praying and hopeful and that it will be great and it will be wonderful. And then we'll see what's next. Nice. Good. Yay. We're, we're, we're happy to hear it. We're here for it all, all the way. So aside from the Aja, that's this boss that's doing her thing <laughs> in the education sector and in the connection sector, who are you when you are not doing all those things? So are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? I'm all three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, my sister gifted me with the Viola, Viola Davis's book, Finding, okay. Finding Me, I think it's called. So I'm yep, about Finding Me. Uh-huh. And then I love old school music. Okay. So at any given time, you can find me listening to old school 
rap, hip hop, and R and B, and Afro beats. Because I'm on the continent. I mean, you gotta listen to Afro beats. Come on now. <laughs> and some of my Senegalese artists that I really like, like tomorrow night, I might go to a listening session for a Senegalese artist named Aubrey Daman, whose music is just—he's his voice is wonderful. But I like to listen to live music when I'm not when I'm not working or busy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually, I like telenovelas. Like, my Senegalese telenovelas. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So are they Senegalese telenovelas or are they telenovelas dubbed into Wolof or... No, they're Senegalese dramas. Like, like how you okay. have, like, like soap operas in the U.S., yeah. Really? Yeah, they're in Wolof and uh, there's French and there's... I didn't. I think right now there's like maybe twenty different shows running. I don't watch all of them. There's like particular ones that I watch. Oh wow! And like, when I'm not working, I'm like invested in the telenovelas. I'm like, what's going on? Because it's like you know, it's a bit of an escape, you know. Like so yeah, I can I can imagine. I I had no idea there was a whole telenovela like yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's thing not there. as ridiculous as like the telenovelas, you know. Like yeah, but it's on that same line though. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna do some research and come up with some. Well, so what is? Uh, do you remember I'm the name of it? Show. Okay, good. I'm gonna tell you them that I really like, and then like the one the, the one I'm watching now, I like it a lot because it's. I mean, a lot of the shows actually it could be based on someone's real life experience. Yes. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, so there's a connection to it, and all of them have these fine ass men that are playing the lead roles. You know, so that that doesn't hurt. You know. <laughs> and by the way, I'm all into Chocolate Brothers. Like that's my thing. I realized that when I became. 35, I think, that I really like chocolate men. Like, I didn't know. Okay. Okay. And so, maybe living here, too, exposed me to that. And so, sure. all these shows, I'm noticing that a lot of these shows are having more chocolate, like, women and men. And I'm like, it's nice to see, not, if you bleach, you bleach. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, in general, it's nice to see women of the darker hue and men of yeah. the darker hue on the team. Yeah, and more of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. More, exactly. More of yourself. Yeah. More of yourself. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yes, because I, I actually, you know, TV is one of the best ways to learn a language. And I, I really, really like Wolof is one that I'm like, I just feel what I loved about the idea of because I, I had in my mind, oh, I, I want to see Dakar because I think I want to live there. And, you know, and people are like, well, you got to learn Wolof. And I'm like, OK, I can try and do that. And I love <laughs> But it didn't sound confident. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, you know, I think the the less of the confidence, and I really liked being in Dakar. But my challenge with Dakar was that I didn't see enough trees. Mm, I know you told me. Yeah. yeah, and so climate is it climate change? Is it X Y Z? But you know, but I love the you know just the way of the movement, like you said, like the dress up and then this, you know, just the energy is wonderful. So I'm, I haven't given up. You know, okay. I need to come when the trees might be blooming. So then I feel a little bit better about that. Or you can but, live outside of Dakar, which a lot of people do. And yeah. And they, they come for, because out of Dakar, there's a resort community, two or three. I mean, it's, there's one that's really expat e. But, uh-huh. but other than that, there are communities outside of the guard that are very green. You know, and a lot of people, because they, they can't deal with the hustle and bustle of the car. It's like it's, right. it's, it's a metropolitan city, you know? Right. You get exactly. out there real quick, you know? Yeah, exactly. I can I can commute. I can commute. So in any case, I should learn some Wolof. So if yes. I kind of get into some of these telenovelas, that might be the case. Yes, I'll think <laughs> of the, the two that I'm watching right now that I like. 
Wonderful. Aja, thank you so much for your time. You know, I, I we, we have, a, this is going to be a two-parter, of course, because we, the luxury of you being off for the summer is that you have a little bit more time to spare. So thank yes. you for that. And yes. so before we sign off, do you have any last words that you want to share with our audience? Just to just remind you guys, like, you know, just go for it. Like, I think mm. this, this idea of me moving to Senegal was really just this idea. And then 10 years later, who knew that I was meant to come stay this long, adopt a child, really be in a good space in my life, probably much, much better than what I was living in, in New York, not, not knowing it either. Physically, mentally, emotionally, just in all areas, like I'm doing well, you know what I mean? And I think it, it was all based on like this idea that I had and, and I was just like, okay, well, let me just see. You know, I just went for it. I'm like, let me see. So I think it's just a little testament that if you have this idea to grow a business or just yeah. to, I don't know, start a far wash, whatever it is that your idea is, just do it. Like, you just never know what the end result might be. Yes. Yes. Go for it, folks. Go for it. I like it. I like it. I like and, it. Um, that's, that's also part of being a global citizen. Just go for it. Yes, indeed. 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 Yeah. And on that note, Local citizens, thank you for joining us for another episode of the podcast. You can find us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com. Check out the show notes. They're always very rich. You can have a whole global education. Just listen, <laughs> just checking out the show notes. So, uh, so yes, so please do like, share, subscribe, tell a friend. It's the best way that people can find good content online. And so until next time, bye for now. <laughs>